So the first thing I think we need to do is decide whether or not we're going by our real names. Of course not. That would be so foolish. <laughs> okay, but the fact is with voice technology, there's yeah, then... no way our voices are not going to be recognized unless we put them through some kind of filter. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. So people out there, this may or may not be our real voice. Maybe we're doing a deep fake. Yeah. So does that mean I should never address you by your first name? Or you by mine? Because I don't want to have to edit this. So like if it slips, what are we going to do? Um, Sandra, you should stop saying that. <laughs> okay, let's revisit this issue later. So, what are we doing here? Um, well, compelled by some uh, force outside of ourselves, which is seemingly strangely creepy, it seems as though we are attempting to disentangle our digital lives. And this happened because, like, the penny dropped, finally. And it's like, it shouldn't have taken this long. No, it shouldn't have taken this long. I mean, I remember 2013, 14, when all the stuff about Snowden was coming out, and WikiLeaks, and all of this mass surveillance, and um, seeing it with a kind of distant um, bemusement, not quite understanding. Of course, outraged, but not really knowing the extent of what was going on. No, it was kind of a joke. Like, I remember when I'd be on the phone and there'd be, like, some funny click in the background. I'd be like, oh, it's the NSA listening in. And I would always say, hello, dear NSA agents. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And me and my, my mom, who was usually the one, I, one I'd be talking to, we'd have a good laugh over that. But, like, I, st I can't reconstruct now, like, what I thought was going on. But what I realize now is that it wasn't actually the content that was so important of being collected. It was all the surrounding stuff. The data exhaust. The data exhaust. As somebody has called it. The metadata, right? Yeah. And so it turns out um, we're very gaseous people. <laughs> <laughs> Flatulent with our data, one might say. <laughs> one might say. Okay, so we. I think over, if we do actually turn this into a podcast and it goes into many episodes, we can, we can fill in all the detail. But let's just, for this first effort, since we don't know if it's going anywhere... Let's just say, where did why did the switch suddenly get flipped for you and me? The switch. As I recall, we're driving to Costco. See, I've already given it away right there. <laughs> we're driving to Costco. There's a lot of Costco's in America. Right. And we you we often listen to something as we're driving. Right. And so you had the audiobook from the library. So um, we won't tell you which library, but we didn't buy it, so you can't track us that way. Um, of Edward Snowden's memoir, Permanent Record. But why did you get that then? Because there was nothing that was like leading up to this. Um, I heard an offhand mention of Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Which we will be returning to. And... It was just an offhand reference in a podcast I was listening to, and I remember hearing an interview of her with Russ Roberts on Egon Talk, and thinking it was a very interesting interview and compelling and shocking. Um, but um, then promptly forgetting about it as I same with me, I heard the same interview and thought, "Oh wow, that's terrible," and then forgot all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what they want you to do. Exactly what they want. Um, and. I just thought I would, I remembered the story about Snowden and I thought, oh, this is, this is also available um, as an audiobook. I hadn't thought of reading the book, but, um, but an audiobook sounded like something I would be interested in, in listening through. So I got it and we started listening to it and it was completely 
transfixed by we were riveted riveted by um his story um and how he came to um be a whistleblower on the un-american and unconstitutional practices of the government for which he and his family had given their lives and i think i mean for me part of the weirdness of listening to that was like it's not like we were children or even like barely scraping to get by young adults when all this stuff came out like we were no we were fully well, adults. well into our 30s that's not any useful metadata for anyone out there and um like responsible citizens you know like we cared about voting and honesty and you know yeah but what i think it happened and i i come from a, a techie family i mean my dad's in computers and we had a computer in our house from when i was a little, little and when i went to college my dad gave me a terminal server to plug into the local network not even a computer so i mean that's how geeky i was and i was going to gopher and getting my email with um you know on the vax mainframe so i mean i, I get the the whole the geekiness of it and so for me when the whole internet thing came around it was it was just another extension of this oh you you create your account and here's your password and then you're off into the races and you can do some it's like a new program right it's like trying a new program and i think it was just not at all evident to me from the beginning that a web page on the computer was not simply like a program on my computer that was simply there in its own container doing its thing in conversation with the bigger container of the computer and not really talking with anything else except me. Right. So I think I was inured to the new reality that was happening, beginning to happen uh, in the early age of the internet. And I was completely profligate in creating accounts here and there. And I remember my first password was, I think, seven letters long, and I just used it everywhere. I'm sure it was my password um, at Amazon. And every... Was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? No, no, it wasn't that. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that foolish. But it was simply um, laughable. But it was, I, I, I applied the logic of um, a local computer to the internet. Right. I came from a less techie family. We were, I think, fairly early adopters of like consumer end products, not like the engineering end that your family was more engaged in. And, you know, for me, as I think for the vast majority of people, it was just, oh, email's amazing because I can keep in touch with people when I live far away from them. Facebook's amazing because it allows me to get in touch with people I have no way of finding. Amazon's amazing because I can buy stuff that is not in my town. Like it was just really that simple. And then, you know, as you go along, you find other things like, oh, you can read this online. You can use the library. Oh, it's you know? connecting me to my high school friends. Isn't yeah, that it's, nice? It's, I haven't thought about these people in years and I really had a good time with them. And yeah. It was pleasant. Real good things came out of that. And, you know, when I was doing research for projects I was working on, I mean, it's astonishing what things you can get now easily that you would have had to take like an expensive in-person trip and pay for archival access fees and all these kind of things. So, you know, until like two weeks ago, <laughs> this just seemed like totally innocent. But that, as we're now realizing, is the whole bait and switch of the internet. So I think we should hold that off. Let, let that be kind of a, a cliffhanger for what may become our next episode. But I would like to say, I thought what we would do here is try to like track actually our efforts over time. Hmm. So 
once we both, especially from um, Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, realized how bad it is, we realized that we have to change. And in some way, not because we're like remotely at the present targets of anything or doing anything wrong, but just realizing that well, just, we have the, to we have to stop by not feeding the beast anymore. Yeah, you don't want to feed the beast. And that what makes what what Zuboff makes very clear is the beast uh, wants to be fed and will do everything that it can to hoover up as much uh, information as it can and make of it whatever it wants to. Right. And I think the point is that what we thought was the information it wanted is only of like tertiary consequence. Yeah, this is why something like encryption, which is the big rage since Snowden, well, then they can't get to the content, um, is actually in some ways a red herring because most of the information that's being gathered and has been gathered is actually is that data exhaust which surrounds the actual content right and allows almost everything else to be reconstructed about you anyway okay so based on this you have begun efforts you're starting with you we decided that you would you would sort of figure out steps and like try to come up with a reasonable process because we have reasons to think this will take what a year years we have no idea how long this is going to take and how successful it's going to be and it looks like one slip up can be the you know the camel's nose under the tent but anyway so so for our, our first uh, uh, effort tell them out there about what you did yesterday morning and what information it gave you by yesterday evening about these um data exhaust collections that are all around us at all times well let me just say for the record that we're not totally new to the computer security thing i mean several years ago i realized that it wasn't good to have duplicate passwords and so um have been using for quite a long time, a password manager, um, in order to do that, and have convinced uh, my family uh, and extended family to also begin to use password managers and also two-factor identification. And so, the security side, I was aware of many of the issues, but the privacy aspects of it, I was less um, knowledgeable about or concerned about. Right. So, if you're already panicked listening to this, it, the first step is. Get a password manager. Make sure you have a different password for every single thing that you do. And using a password manager, like one password, is really good because then it remembers for you. Yeah, and, and you make really long passwords of random. I things. mean, they'll they'll generate them for you. Yeah. But yeah. but that's partly to prevent you from getting hacked by like a person on the near end or someone who wants your content. But it doesn't solve doesn't the, solve the data exhaust slash metadata problem of being tracked at all times. It's about, it, it solves the security problem and not the privacy problem. So okay. we'll, we'll disentangle that more in future episodes. So yesterday, at the behest of uh, some instructions that I got, um, installed a, uh, a plugin for Firefox called uBlock Origin which I believe is put out by the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And what it does is it blocks scripts, JavaScript and other kinds of scripts that are trying to run on your computer. Okay, why don't you explain what a script is and why it's running on your... It's simply a series of instructions that's trying to, in various ways, track what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so how does it get on your computer at all if you don't when like, you voluntarily load... install it? When you load a web page, you are voluntarily installing it. Ah, now, so they're not telling you that they're running all these programs on you when you use their website. Not explicitly, but when you sign and accept the terms and conditions, and when you accept the cookie button, which everybody hates now, you're also um, accepting certain kinds of this tracking, which is going, cookies are just one of the things, and not even the most nefarious ones anymore. 
But when you load up a web page, um, that web page in its code. It's so comically, or perhaps sinisterly, Andre, this person <laughs> sitting to my right who shares the house with me. Uh, not that we live in a house. We're not homeowners. We don't have a mortgage. We also don't rent. Or we maybe we do. Maybe we do. We're trying to mislead you. Okay. So while we were talking, um, the battery died, which felt uh, momentarily like um, the forces of surveillance like sent some sort of um, electronic surge through the satellites and took it out. But probably it's just that um, the batteries were low and I forgot to plug in the backup. So anyway, uh, mister, you were talking about how websites... Well, run scripts anyway, just to, for functionality, not yeah. only for sinister purposes. So finish that thought. Yeah, well, the the web, in um, much of the web and many web pages run off of various scripts, JavaScript and um, other things. I'm not a technical person. I know that these things exist. I don't know exactly what they do, but many of them are absolutely necessary for the site to run. And so if you if you don't have some of them, then the web just doesn't work at all. Um, okay. lots of the other ones are baggage that come along in the payload of the web page, and they are there strictly to monitor you, to track you, uh, to figure out where you're moving the mouse, what you're lingering on, how long you're, um, looking at one part of the web page, how fast you scroll through it. Um, they're measuring where you come from and where you're going. Uh, so it's kind of like a congressional bill. It appears to be one thing, but it has lots of other stuff that's just like jammed in there and forced through without, and you kind of have to accept the whole thing in order to get any of it. Well, basically that's what it is. And if you are browsing the internet on a stock internet browser that comes with your operating system, whether it be Microsoft or whether it be Apple Safari, or even whether it be Google Chrome or even Firefox with just basic, um, settings, you are welcoming many of these things onto your computer. Now, in a browser, it's a relatively safe environment, safe for your computer. Uh, there are many, especially in Firefox, the operations of those cookies and of those scripts are sandboxed in a way that they don't enter uh, the rest of your computer. There are malicious ones that can. There are um, breaches that can be made with... Um, to install malware on your computer, but that's that's a different subject. This is these are things that are just there to track you. And it sort of seems like uh, web browsers are highly motivated to keep your security level high without letting you know how much your privacy is being violated. Well, that's the whole trade-off. That's right? the bait and switch. Is that um, more and more people are concerned about security, and it is really it's a terrifying thing. I think maybe four or five years ago, everybody was being hit by ransomware, and the idea that if you accidentally visit some web page by clicking on some link that somebody fished uh, by you fell prey to phishing and you clicked on it, then you get some malware on your computer that encrypted the whole thing and you had to pay Bitcoin. And um, I remember hearing a very um, episode of Radiolab. I remember listening to, I think it was five or six years, five, five years ago about this poor. You know, mister, you've just like totally given away your identity by admitting that you listen to Radiolab. We I have know. so many different demographics on you already. Okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway, listening to this Actually, neither of, of us listens to Radiolab anymore. We both got kind of tired of it. Okay, go on. <laughs> Post-Radiolab, that's even a more specific demographic. <laughs> anyway, so listening to this program about a Ukrainian grandma 
I believe it was, <laughs> who had to go and find a Bitcoin ATM to pay off $500 to get her computer back. It was um, both comical and terrifying at the same time. Like it wasn't her physical computer. It was access to her computer. No, it was her physical. It was, yeah, it was access to her files, which had been encrypted and she needed a key. I mean, the point is that thieves are not coming in your window at night. Right. So the, yes. So this, I think we're sensitive to the security. Right. We don't want people coming in and taking our stuff. And so the ransomware is like, it's almost like digital robbery. Right. You know, it feels violating or like reading your emails or right and so so but when you have the browser and it sandboxes thing it makes you feel safe because it can't take over your computer but what it's doing in the background it's not taking over a computer it's just taking over your life (laughs) (laughs) all right well i think it won't be the burden of this podcast to show how that is the case but let's wrap up this this attempt at a first episode here with you saying specifically you, you started us on how you installed this what was it called you something you block origin you block origin in order to stop the scripts that you did not consent to from running on your computer so you installed it yesterday morning yesterday morning yeah i i, I was reading through this instruction guide and said i rec- had a bunch of recommendations and this is one of the recommendations you know i have had script block installed before because I know this is a problem but this one apparently is the creme de la creme of script blockers so I installed it and um oh yesterday I was a fairly heavy internet use day because I'm going down this rabbit hole I decided well I'm going to visit my old email accounts and try to up their security um you had an AOL account (laughs) (laughs) yes I had an AOL account. At least I can say that I have never seen an AOL account. By the Although way, how many I'd... times have you seen Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> All right, carry on. So, but how many, okay, how many websites do you think you visited yesterday? I don't know. I... I don't know, 50 or 60. Okay, so that's like a heavy internet use day for you. 50 or 60 websites. Yeah, different websites. And I was the email ones, I like. admit, lots of different pages. Every time it loads a page, it's got to load up all these right. different scripts. All right, so out there in podcast land, before we, we have the big reveal, I want you to try to guess how many scripts you think were running on Andrew, uh, on Mr.'s computer <laughs> as a result of visiting 50 or 60 websites. Because he did this to me. I tried to guess. And I'll tell you right now that my guess was, I thought, astronomically high and turned out to be absurdly low. Yes. So yesterday's web activity at about... 5.30 at night, by the time I said, okay, I've had enough of this, um, I had I clicked on the little browser button that tells you how many scripts it has blocked, and it said 51,000. <laughs> so, 51,000 And let me just remind uh, the audience out there, that's 51,000 scripts were blocked, and I had no problem doing what I needed to be doing. That's a good point. So these weren't like crucial to see like the graphics on your no, site. No, these are or all things that were non-essential for the functioning of these various websites. And there's no way they would be running without profit to their makers and runners, right? No, they're absolutely. not. They're not there for no reason. No, programmers are not spending time out of goodwill putting scripts on websites. They're doing it in order to track you. Right. And they're tracking everything. I mean, they're tracking where you look. How long you look there, um, 
you're tracking even sometimes where your mouse is going. Um, some of them that are malicious can even log your keystrokes. I mean, when people get worried about their camera being taken over, this is what they're taken over by sometimes. Uh, they're incredibly powerful and um, they are running all the time and mostly they're for the purposes of um, tracking your current behavior in order to nudge you towards future consumption. And also because of the, the, the speed and scope of machine learning, even if it doesn't need to target you individually, it aggregates all this, finds patterns, and then uses it to manipulate, control, predict, direct. Yeah, so it's, it's of course, watching where you're coming from, where you're going. It knows your IP address. It knows where you came from. Um, it knows uh, what your computer is, what model it is, what operating system you're running on, what browser you're using. It knows the, the size of your window. So it can estimate your, it can target you based upon the size of your browser window. So that it fingerprints you in all kinds of different ways in order to target you with a particular advertisement. And then tries to link that with a real person, which is you. Right. So I think the two big takeaways for starting out is number one, security and privacy are not the same thing. Right. And number two, it's not the content that you're concerned about that you're generating, like your private diary thoughts, emails, photos, whatever. Those are valuable and could be plundered, but it's actually all the surrounding stuff about your habits, location, length of time, doing things, etc. That's actually where the value add is. Right. And the reason you're probably not concerned about it is because you didn't know you were producing it. You have never been told that you were producing it or that they're plundering it. But the reason the internet is free is because you're paying with it with your behavior. All right. I think that's a good ending for our first episode. If there's never a future episode, please write to us care of the Gulag.